Welcome to this week's edition of Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Influential people, high-performing organizations, creating a culture of success. And now your hosts, Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. Hello again, everybody. Great to have you along on this Sunday afternoon. We're going to be here till 5 o'clock. Scott Murray along with... Angel Carlton. And how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Scott? Oh, well, I'm good. You, Belmont Stakes, are you a uh, race race fan? Yes. What did you well, think of that I, yesterday? I thought that was very exciting. Now, do you know who won? Justify. Unbelievable. Yes. Fantastic. I know. I know. That was Fanta- cool. Well, that's really good. For those of you tuning in for the first time, I4CP, or the Institute for Corporate Productivity, as Scott mentioned is a human capital research firm. We study and discover the people practices of high-performing organizations. We help organizations in all industries improve workforce productivity. We work with some major companies like AT&T, Amazon, Microsoft, 3M, Ford, Starbucks, Toyota, and uh, so many others. Hundreds and the list and goes hundreds on and of on others. And, on. and yeah, it uh, sure it's does. incredible. It's incredible what I've learned about the people practices that really make uh, an effective organization today. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do, please visit our website at i4cp.com. Well, we continue to uh, welcome some incredible leaders to the to the program, leading the way each and every week. And, and yes. again, today, no exception. I want to tell you a little something about uh, the gentleman that is going to join us here in the studio today. His name is Dr. Britt Barrett. He currently serves as the Program Director of Healthcare Management in the Agendal School of Management at the University of Texas at Dallas, and is also a Director for the Center of Healthcare Leadership and Management. He's a former CEO of Medical City Dallas. I mean, the list goes on and on of all the incredible things he has been a part of. And I also want to make you aware of the fact this uh, all together provides a tremendous foundation in the preparation of the next generation of healthcare leaders. Uh, I happen to be on, on one of the boards over at UT Dallas, the Center for Vital Longevity, which we can talk to uh, Dr. Barrett about. But it's unbelievable some of the things that they're doing that really is above and beyond. You think of all the incredible medical schools and what have you that we have, institutions mm-hmm. across America, and we think, oh, we're so lucky here in the United States to, to have these people all right here. But when you hear about some of the things that they're doing now, very I think you'd be forward oh, thinking. unbelievable. That's, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. He served as the president of a Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas and uh, is part of a Texas Health Resources that's uh, better known as THR. It's a network of 24 facilities and over 250 ambulatory centers located throughout the entire North Texas area. Dr. Barrett joined THR back in 2010, so close to close to a decade ago, previously serving for a decade as the president and chief executive officer, as I mentioned, of Medical City and Medical City Children's Hospital, the flagship medical center for the North Texas Division of HCA. And he has also served as a CEO as part of the Sharp Healthcare System that's on the other coast, as they say, out west in San Diego, California. So a busy man indeed. Mm-hmm. Welcome, my friend. Great to have you on board. Delighted to be here. So Thank nice you for the invitation. To, yeah, absolutely. It's nice to have you in the studio. We love it. Yeah, it really when, uh, is. It's great. When our guests can come in live. And, and we great. do want to hear a little later on, after we get through some of the questions that uh, Angel has uh, so aptly put together, we do want to talk about some of the things that uh, UT Dallas does. And, 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 and it's, it's really that Jindal School, again, is above and beyond, is it not? It's an amazing organization. I joined about three and a half years ago. And looking at how they bridge the gap between academic research and the professional industry and bringing those together... I think it's inspiring. I think more academic centers need to uh, extend those those bridges so that we can move from the conceptual to the real. And in healthcare leadership and management, that's imperative. Yep. It's just imperative. Well, we need good medicine. There's no question mm-hmm. about that. And, and medical treatment uh, in facilities all across America. So this is most exciting to have Dr. Barrett with us today. I think, as you well know, we do a little something called the lightning round. Okay. This is your journey to success, and uh, you certainly have uh, paved that uh, that well. Uh, so let's move forward with those as quickly and efficiently as we can and simply start with our first one, your first job, and what did you learn from it? <laughs> first job, uh, I delivered the Daily Mariner in Vancouver, British Columbia. I was 11 or 12 years at the, old at the time, and uh, every morning I had to get up, pick up the papers, and deliver throughout the, this hilly area that overlooks the, the Vancouver Harbor. And uh, what did I learn from it? I, I think I learned you got to show up. Uh, you just got to show up and you've got to work hard and all other challenges that you might face. Uh, you've got to, got to be there and you've got to work hard. So that, that was, for me was an aha moment. The, the second, if I, can I get two on? Oh, sure. Go for it. 
The other one was I was a night administrator at Barnes Hospital in St. Louis. It's one of the largest uh, academic medical centers in the United States, 1,208 beds. And I was asked to be the administrator from midnight till eight in the morning. What I learned from that was the importance of people. I realized that during the night shift, in organizations that run 24-7, sometimes we forget that there's a, an evening night shift or a weekend shift. People, men and women, trained professionals who are engaging in some of the most important, sophisticated procedures, sometimes we don't reach out. And so uh, that, that's been almost a mainstay for my entire career about think about everyone that's on the, on the team, uh, wherever they are and whatever they're doing, make them part of the effort. That's interesting. You say you're uh, from Vancouver. Are you are you Canadian then? I am. I'm a U.S. citizen. That's well, a... now now of course you are. And my dad was from Nova Scotia and, and <laughs> oh, became a U.S. Okay. citizen and and proudly. Uh, but uh, but love Canada. And yet I think of something like the and I don't want to get off script here, but I think of medicine how it is here in the United States versus what it is in Canada. It's different. It's night and day. It's interesting, isn't it? it yeah, it really is. I mean, we, we could we could spend hours on yeah, that topic. That's a whole alone, show. But uh, it is a dynamic, and it is a comparative for us to look at how care care is delivered in in a different model and expectations, different type of expectations the, that we have here in the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right, take it away, Angel. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a question before we go on to the next lightning round question, okay. and I'm curious to know, as I read in your bio, how you got involved in healthcare as as a younger Younger man, um, do you do you want to share he's, that story? Angel, he's still a young man. Yeah, thank yes. you. Come on, you. come right. on. Yeah. I I think there are two life experiences I had. When I was a young man, um, I was in a fire and I was sent to a burn center, and and my life was saved. And and as I was laying there with third degree burns over a large portion of my body, um, I watched men and women do amazing things. They orchestrated care and they saved my life. And I was just inspired by that effort. I don't really have a clinical bone in my body. I mean, there's nothing about me that screams, you know, I want to touch people. I It's just, but I do have a pretty good business mind. And so I struggled with how do I get involved in such a complex and, and, and challenging industry. And uh, uh, I was at a conference and uh, listened to a speaker who was a hospital president. And I went, aha, that's it. Mm. That's the role that I can play. Wow. You know, for every clinician that's out there, there are 17 men and women behind the scenes that are doing amazing things. They are providing the revenue cycle. They are uh, identifying supplies. They are procuring uh, devices. I mean, there's a lot of men and women behind the scenes that uh, are imperative for those clinical caregivers to uh, do what they do. So mm-hmm. that was one experience that drove me into the field of healthcare. The other was I spent two years of my life in Peru. I, I was did missionary work there. And one of my responsibilities was to watch um, and care for men and women in the hospital. So I would travel through hospitals. Honestly, healthcare in a third world country, it, it will break your heart. And I came back thinking, is that how we care for those that are destitute? What role can I play in my community to bless their lives? And so those were, for me, two overwhelming um, uh, experiences that uh, really shaped how I how and why I got into healthcare. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, Very I love that. A leader with a heart. Yep. I, Dr. I Britt Barrett more. is our special guest, former CEO of Medical City Dallas and director for the Center of Healthcare Leadership and Management. We're back with more of Leading the Way right after this. What are best practices? Are they what set you apart from your competition? Or are they simply what most companies do to stay in the race? At the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, We focus on next practices, and that focus is what today's high-performance organizations rely on to lead the way. Next practices are tactics and strategies that our research has discovered have a great impact on market performance, but that few companies are using. They are what will define market leadership in the years ahead. I4CP helps you see around the curve so your company can adapt and take advantage of emerging trends in the ever-evolving world of human capital. We want you to lead the way. So join our team, I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity, leading the way. And now back to Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Here's Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. And as we continue the lightning round, Journey to Success, Dr. Britt Barrett, take it away. All right. So, Dr. Barrett, if you were to name the top two mentors in your life, who would they be and 
How did they have an influence on you? See, I love that question because I think mentors can play a different role in different roles in different areas of your life. And two of them come directly to mind. Ken Kaufman, he was an individual that was engaged. He loved his work. And I could tell that he was all there. He was all in and fully invested. So I watched and listened. He also taught me how to be a father and and a husband. And that to me was, you know, my priority. And so he, 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 he was that example. Another great mentor, and this might sound a little odd, uh, but it was my executive assistant, Frankie Montgomery. I was with her for 15 years. She taught me how to really be attentive to individuals. She's, she, uh, she really was uh, an inspiration, how much she cared for people and and taught me a lot about myself and how I how I presented in front of others. So, uh, two great people uh, that I honor uh, for the role that they played. Well, I think it's refreshing that you received that feedback and can apply it from you know from her. I think that's very cool. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to number three: the most significant experience or turning point in developing your skills. As a leader, you're chuckling over there. Well, because it's a bad story. I mean, it's a bad story. I, I was an assistant administrator. We had just had our second child. We had just bought a house. We were in Los Angeles, and I had the worst boss I have ever had in my life. She was horrible. She was demeaning and and rude and divisive. And and I would come home from work thinking I, I I'm I'm never going to succeed. I'm never going to be successful. I'm an idiot. I I mean, it was just really a tough time for me. As a matter of fact, when I left that job, I I found another. I said to myself, I never want to be that kind of boss because I knew that if I was that kind of boss that I would demean people and demoralize them, they would take that back home. They would take that back into the community. So could I be an inspiration? And uh, interestingly enough, the day I left, I uh, walked down the hall to her office with a screwdriver. No, I didn't. I I, I popped I popped her name plaque <laughs> off the wall. <laughs> I popped the name plaque off the wall and I have it in my office. As a reminder, oh, wow. I never want to be that kind of leader. I want to be a kind of a leader that inspires and encourages. And I, so, I think she got into broadcasting after, after because I remember her well. <laughs> oh, I think we all have a couple of yeah, those. Yeah, I had one of those I too. Did, yeah, I remember great. her well. I remember her well. All right. Take it away. So uh, what would be the best advice you'd give someone in the next generation Maybe young professional. Well, as it relates to healthcare, in in any, I um, I'm inspired by these millennials. I just mm-hmm. love them. One, uh, you know, I retired from hospital administration about three years ago, and I joined the University of Texas at Dallas, and we started an undergraduate program in healthcare management. So I'm working with these millennials day in day out, and I they are, they are purpose driven. And what I what I would encourage them to do is find your passion, find a role in this world where you can change things. And I think nothing could be more in need of change than healthcare and the delivery. It's so complex and chaotic. Um, my advice is find your passion and, and, and give back, you do something purposeful and meaningful in life. And, uh, and I think that that will prove the day for him. Good advice. Last question, lightning round. How would you best define your legacy? Uh, I, I hope that when I'm laid to rest, that I will be surrounded by my, family and my friends. And when I say my friends, the men and women I've worked with that I've helped them grow and become better. And uh, when I was running Medical City, I think we counted, I think there were 52 individuals within that 10-year period that went on be, went on to become executives in healthcare, chief nursing officers, chief strategy officers, chief executive officers, chief operating officers. So I'm hoping that the work that we did together and they saw the successes and the failures and they learned from both that the legacy is that they become better leaders and that, mm. that they've blessed more lives because of the role that they played. Well, that is a great leader. Yeah. Great leaders are not made by how many followers they have, but how many leaders they create. Yeah. I think that was a John Wooden quote. Sounds like so- John. Doesn't it sound like him? Yeah. But yeah, that's great. I love that story. All right. Good stuff. Interview time. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> there we go. Are you still in the hot seat? Okay, I good. Am. Just checking. Let's talk, first of all, about the book that you uh, co-authored entitled wow. Patients Come First, Leading Change by Changing the Way You Lead. I love the title. It's a little bit disrupting, too. I love that. How oh, I think it's, it's great. Yeah. I yeah. think it's great. So here's the question. Inspiration. What inspired the book, and what are you hoping readers will take away from reading this book? Okay, so... 
when I was leading uh, in a hospital, we were doing amazing things. We became the first hospital in the DFW to receive the best place to work award and one of the top 50 best places to work. Our foundation was if you have employees that love being at work, they'll do amazing things. We know that intuitively. And so I, I thought, well, there's got to be some research behind it. Let's go. Let's let's look at what's being written about this. And very little in healthcare. Most of the work in, in healthcare is on the clinical aspect, not the leadership. So I decided, like an idiot, to go back to school. So I went to UTD, the School of Economics, and I said, I, I want to do more research. And they said, come join this PhD program. So I pursued my PhD, and I wrote an amazing dissertation. I mean, there are tribes in Africa that worship this. Some I'm sure that they do, but and no one read it. I mean, I published it. I gave it to the kids for Christmas. No one wanted to read it, and I thought, <laughs> sad. So a buddy, uh, Paul Spiegelman, who I had been working with, and he had, uh, was president of the barrel company, uh, he said, let's write a book. And so we did. And what did we learn? Ten points. Leading change by changing how you lead was the, the working title. At the last minute, just before we went to press, he changed the title to Patients Come Second. And the foundation is build your team, create an organization that can provide exceptional care, and then they will be able to take care of the patient. So uh, it's been uh, it's become a New York Times bestseller, a USA Today bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller. Um, it's been really fun connecting with men and women in the healthcare space that really believe the importance of building teams. Who did the forward in the book? Uh, who did the forward in the book? That Ruland Stacy, I, I just was curious. Is it, it was some longtime friend, or who 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 you got to do it? Ruland Stacy was the past chairman of the board of the American College of Healthcare Executives. Okay, okay. And uh, we got some comments from Fred Lee. Fred Lee wrote an inter- interesting book. If Disney ran this hospital, very cool, very insightful. And then very another cool. another one. Chester Elton wrote another edition. He wrote the Carrot Principle about how do you reward and recognize people. So we pulled individuals from outside the industry, inside the industry. And came up with uh, Patients Come Second. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. We talk a lot about purpose and how important it is in high-performing organizations. And uh, and you say right here about uh, by connecting employees' work with a higher purpose and equipping them with the tools to become leaders themselves, patient care can be dramatically transformed. Right. I think that's what we're talking about here today. So. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings me to our next question, and okay. that is, while you were the CEO of Medical City Dallas Hospital here, you created an internal leadership development program, speaking of building leaders. Uh, this is a top initiative for many organizations that, that we work with. Can you share some insights about that program? Well, I think it's imperative. I, I think it's imperative. When I was at the hospital, I, I was talking with you know key uh, individuals, and I was talking to the docs and I said, what do you need? And they just said, let me be a doctor. Let me get, get me great nurses and get the supplies I need and make it, make it so that I can care for the patient. And, you know, that really resonated with me. So I started doing an assessment. Where do our leaders stand? And I found that probably we were deficient. We had not stepped up in leadership. Uh, And when you say leadership, well, it's all sorts of behaviors from as simple as scheduling to how to deal with conflict, how to reward and recognize how to get rid of bad players in your organization you know all these things so we we put together a, a basically a, a skills checklist of things that leaders needed to do and then we looked at the delta where are we deficient and then together with hr and the senior leadership team we just plotted a course we did it all by ourselves in retrospect i wish i had had someone to help me I, in <laughs> retrospect i would have said help because we made we went down a lot of bunny trails but basically, we created a curriculum for all the members of the executive team, the senior leadership team, and then we started pushing that into the supervisors. And it was, it was magical. We saw phenomenal results. Our turnover evaporated. Uh, we found that when there was a serious issue, like an ice storm in Dallas, that we didn't have to worry because everyone understood the mission, the vision, the values. They'd show up because they really cared about the organization. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got time for a couple more questions before we take a break. Let me ask you this. What does a healthcare leader look like in today's changing healthcare field? And keep in mind when you answer this, the importance of transparency for healthcare leaders in today's society. Well, it's it's a all a $3 trillion industry. It's it's almost 20% of the GDP. You have more moving parts and and more expectations than really any other in, in, industry. Because when we make a mistake, when there's a failure, we can't reboot. You know, mm-hmm. people are injured. So to mm-hmm. that end, 
the the healthcare leader of the future has got to be prepared for a very chaotic and challenging environment. And uh, an interesting experience, um, a CEO that took a, a position after I had left called me up and he said, hey, how you doing? I said, well, it's a pleasure to talk with you. He said, hey, can we have breakfast? And I said, sure. So we went out to breakfast and he, and it was completely unscripted, unprepared. He said, what did you do? What was the key? I hear your name and the team and all the things that were done. And I, and off the top of my head, I just said, I just love the team. I love the men and women. I care about them so much and I care about the role that they play in this organization. So I think leaders need to love the purpose and meaning behind the organization and need to love the men and women that are on that team. And sometimes that means you got to fire people that don't get it. Some, you know, that I'm not talking about enabling. I'm talking about loving the purpose and the mission and the meaning and all the men and women that, that get it to realize success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And build that team that all have that same vision, same purpose and meaning. Absolutely. So with the need to be uh, prepared for this chaotic environment Mm. called healthcare, um, how important is agility and sensing that being able to sense that change that's coming? I mean, well, Scott, you know, you know, you were talking about some of the work that's being done at UTD. I think we're on the cusp of unbelievable breakthroughs in healthcare. I think we're going to turn this thing on its head. We've been focused so much on the bricks and mortar. Uh, Clayton Christensen from Harvard Business talks about three segments of healthcare. He, he talks about the diagnosis, the treatment, and the post-care. And he said, we've spent all our money, time, and energy on the treatment. How about the diagnosis? Why, why do these mal- maladies occur? Why, does the, these, why do these illnesses emerge? I think the agility is looking at diagnosing. And identifying. And then then we could look at treatment. And I, I got to tell you, I, I doubt we'll see more hospitals being built. I think you're going to see more mobile devices. I think you're going to see technology that's going to be mind-blowing. I think we're going to crack the, that sounds funny, crack the brain. But we figured out how the heart works, right? Now we're going to explore how does the brain work? And and how do those neurons fire? And what are the implications for illness? I I think it's an exciting time for healthcare. So I think healthcare leaders are going to have to be prepared for those dynamic changes. Mm-hmm. Great answer. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Another program you implemented at Medical City was the Caring Model and Promise program. So here's what I'm looking for, Brett. Can you can you share some elements of the program and how it helped to develop your staff that you've been uh, talking about so uh, so eloquently? Well, we gave uh, the tools for the leaders to know how to lead. And, and it's some basic fundamental issues that they have to address. You know, it's scheduling. I, my daughter, our daughter is a pediatric ICU nurse. I adore her. But you know what really ticks her off? Schedule. I mean, you would think, oh, it's the, you know, the obligation and this. No, if her schedule is confusing and it really drives her over, over the edge. And so those are some basic fundamental things that a leaders need to attend to. The caring model was once we we got base camp and, and things are functioning, how do you interact with your coworkers and with people you work with? So we created a multidisciplinary team. And we asked the question, how do you want to be how do you want to be treated? What are the most important things for you? We we found that patients want to be acknowledged. They want to we had patients coming to our hospital, which was a tertiary care center, that had never been in a multi-story building before. Oh wow. And so getting in an elevator, interesting eleven. You know, it's a little mind numbing, but think about it. When do you really go to a hospital, you know, and there's a delivery or an emergency room? But if there's a serious illness, you'll move from rural into urban and it's it's another experience. So culture shock. Culture shock. And sure. so we said this caring model needs to look at the patient and their family members and their coworkers. And so we listed all these behaviors, then we started modeling them. I, I here's a funny story. So one of them, this multidisciplinary group, decided that Talking to people in the elevator is important. And so we did some mystery shopper and it just wasn't happening until I got the engineer, engineering department. We took my office desk. We put it in one of the big elevators that all the staff work on. I set it all up and I sat in there like it was my office. And they'd walk in and I'd say, well, good morning. Welcome to the elevator. Uh, how are you doing today? And you know, it's kind of silly, kind of funny, but it really accentuated the importance of communicating and, and caring about people. And so there are a series of, of events and activities that really push this caring model 
throughout the organization. You should have called all the television stations. That's got uh, that's got news story written all over <laughs> it. The doors open and here's the CEO. <laughs> yeah. and the video. That, yes. that's great. Well, we I also videotaped the reaction and it yeah. was so uh, it was so funny. Uh, that's what I mean. But that's, that's good stuff. I like that. Dr. Britt Barrett, former CEO of Medical City Dallas, director for the Center of Healthcare Leadership and Management. Our special guest here on Leading the Way, Angel and yours truly, Scott Murray. Back with more after this. Leading the Way. It's about influential leaders and the business practices leading companies use to impact market performance. That's what the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, does on a daily basis. We work with leading companies, from Amazon to Boeing, and REI to 3M, to not only discover the best people practices of high organizations, but the next practices, those that will define market leadership in the years ahead. Senior HR, learning, talent, and diversity executives from many of the most respected companies in the world rely on I4CP to ensure that their efforts will make the greatest impact on the business. After all, it's difficult to stay ahead by only looking behind. I4CP's focus on next practices is what today's top companies rely on to lead the way. I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity, leading the way every single day. And now back to Scott Murray and Angel Carlton and Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Dr. Britt Barrett, former CEO, Medical City Dallas, and director for the Center of Healthcare Leadership and Management, our special guest, and we've heard all kinds of really engaging, unique information that, uh, you know, you go, wow, that's kind of cool. I had no idea. I love the elevator, though. That's <laughs> that's that's going to top it. Don't you agree? Well, exactly. And I was going to ask about employee <laughs> engagement, but that is one great example of how to really engage the employees and uh, and connect with them. Uh, that's that's awesome to show that you do care. But what are some other things that you've done to reach success in employee engagement? Well, I, th- I think you've got to measure it. I, I'm, 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 you, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And to that end, we did employee surveys. We used Prescani and Gallup to assess the engagement. And then we looked for issues. And it was interesting for me to find that, on, as I mentioned before, the evening and night shift, we'd forgotten them. And so um, I decided that I would do something called midnight munchies. And I got these carts and I went to, to the dietary department. I said, I, I got to get some cookies or some cupcakes. I don't know if you ever had cake pops. But those are delicious. Oh, yes. They are delicious. No, and, tell me about. Oh, they're, they're 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 like balls of cake with icing on them, and they put them on a stick and <laughs> like so it's like a, like a sucker. Lollipop. It's like, yeah, it's like you're a, kidding. It's yeah. like a diabetic coma <laughs> yeah. on, on the go. So um, anyway, so I would pack these carts full, and I would go from floor to floor, and I'd pull up to the nursing station, and I remember the first time I did it, they're all like, "Who's the suit? Who's the tie?" Right. And I said, "I just want to say I love you. I'm grateful that you're here in the night. Uh, here's some treats." And the first month it was like, uh, but every month it was a different theme. So it was February's yeah. Valentine's and March was St. Patrick's and theme, theme, theme. And, oh, and I learned a lesson from this one. So the HR people said, Hey, cake pops, I get it, but you know, we're heart healthy. We, yeah. you, <laughs> right. you're just, you need to put fruit and vegetables. So I said, uh, okay. So I put oranges and apples and I, we almost had a food fight on the floors. The nurses were not having anything to do with that, so we went back to cake pop. So I just a lesson learned. Um, and uh, I would as go as if from, the "I love you" wasn't sweet yeah, enough, that's right? That's right. <laughs> um, and I would go from floor to floor to floor. I'd start at about eleven p.m. I get done about three or four. And I remember one time uh, I was driving home, and I knew that I had to get home, shower and shave, and turn around because I surgeons like to meet at six thirty in the morning. So I had to get back for that. And I think to myself, why am I doing this? This, this is, I'm just killing me. And uh, honestly, I had this aha moment that I just love them. I mm-hmm. love all that they, they do. And uh, I remember that burn experience and those men and women who did amazing things. And I thought, if this is but one small act of kindness and caring for them, it's worth it. It's worth mm-hmm. it. So that, that to me was an example of how you engage and you appreciate and you love the people you work with. Wow. That's good. Yeah, and that translates yeah. to the patient experience, which... Oh, absolutely. Is Just huge. automatically. Oh. Automatically. Okay, let's talk about your experience. Almost 30 years, you said, in healthcare. You've navigated right. some organizational and environmental challenges. Can you share with us some of the more uh, challenging or maybe some of the strategy that you implemented along the way to successfully address uh, some of the issues that came about? Well, I, th- I think one of the challenges that we have is... Uh, Healthcare is changing so quickly, it's hard to know what's on the horizon. 
And uh, if you've got amazing physicians with great vision, you can prepare for it. But if you're not willing to listen or talk, if it's a kind of a top-down strategy, you're in trouble. And so uh, as I was the president of Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital of Dallas, Presby Dallas, I listened to the docs. They're amazing men and women. And uh, some have become some of my closest friends. Um, Dave Fosdick's the cardiovascular surgeon there, and he's a senior surgeon. I'm sure many of your listeners have, <laughs> may have had surgery from David. Right. He's an amazing, and he, he would mentor me. He would allow me to understand what the future would be, and along with the other surgeons and and physicians in that group, that became very important. Um, I think good leadership listens. I think good leadership uh, challenges questions. You know, I've had a couple of knockdown drag outs with docs who felt like, you know, we had to do X, Y, and Z, but we listen to each other. And that I think proves the day and employees benefit from that. I mean, if I'm a physician and I've got a great group of uh, nurses and pharmacists and technicians and housekeepers and engineers around me, uh, anything's possible. Anything's possible. So listen is what I learned. Mm. Wow. A key skill to really listen. Do you know that we listen Five percent of our day, forty-five, almost fifty percent of what we do all day long, we listen. Yet only two percent of us have really been trained on listening skills. That's interesting. Yes, yes. Interesting. So active listening—that is a skill that we all could uh, certainly improve. Well, that's why the good Lord yeah. gave us two ears and one mouth. Exactly unfortunately, right. <laughs> unfortunately, enough people don't abide by that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, uh, excellent and leadership skill. I th- I'll tell you, I don't, it doesn't surprise me. I think when you're in a senior executive role and CEO, the expectation is you know everything. The expectation is that you're moved to action. And there's there are all these imperatives that are falling upon you. But if you've got a good executive team and a good manager and directors and, and, and supervisors and physicians, you can accomplish anything. And that's what I saw at Presby Dallas. I saw that at Medical City and, and the other organizations. And it's something that I'm hoping to teach at the University of Texas at Dallas. I mean, you know, I, I retired young because I wanted to help bridge that gap. I wanted to prepare the next generation of healthcare leaders. So as I lecture to these young students, I say, you know, this is what a leader should be. You're, you're going to get a five-star education. And someday you're, don't be that jerk that thinks they know everything, be that kind of leader that collaborates and listens and participates. And so perhaps that's one of the gifts I can give the next generation of healthcare leaders. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that's what I love about uh, many, a good majority of the guests that we've had have that mindset. And uh, that's why we call the show leading the way, because those are the leaders that are truly making the difference. All right. Uh, well, we love to talk about innovation on this show. Okay. And uh, so we uh, hear about the many ways organizations are using technology to generate a more productive work workforce. Uh, how have you used technology to improve productivity and operational efficiencies well, in, in, a, in healthcare? In a hospital, uh, you've got probably 45% of your expenses are in salaries, salaries, wages, and benefits. So it's a big chunk of your P&L. And to that end, you've got to commit time and energy and resources in that. Uh, staffing's a big issue. So can you use, you know, old school staffing is, well, eight to five, you know, or, or you know, tw- two 12-hour shifts or three eight-hour shifts. How about predictive analytics? Can you, can, you, can you harness predictive analytics? Can you look at the activity in your emergency room and project staffing demands and needs? And that's what we did. And I thought that was very important because then we could say, well, you know, I, I never proved that there are more babies delivered in a full moon. All my L&D <laughs> nurses assure me that that's true, but the AI doesn't confirm that, but that's probably a, uh, we'll stick with it. But do you, can you use predictive analytics for staffing and then have the right resources at the right time? So add to that, what kind of procedures are we going to have and what kind of technology can we determine? If we're going to do 20 open hearts tomorrow, do we have all the supplies for that? And if we don't, can we... Can we resource them? So using technology to capture that information. The third area that I think is is very important is when we aggregate all this information, can we data mine it? I mean, can we data mine it? Can we look at why an individual not necessarily has an open heart procedure, but what was what preceded that? It was it weight? Was it diet? Was it was it lifestyle? What was it? And then can we push that information into the population health education space? Mm-hmm. They say 45% of the healthcare issues are related to lifestyle and behavior. They mm-hmm. say that's the number one predictor of one's illness is their lifestyle and behavior. 
And it's, that's good for me because I love ice cream. And I, you know, it's, I'm just like, you know, honey. <laughs> you and me both. I, I, I'm super happy. So I'll have another bowl of Rocky Road. Um, but if we, if we know that, then can't we use tools and resources to help individuals live healthier lifestyles? Can't we use mobile devices? I mean, Fitbits? Oh, we haven't even seen Fitbit. We're just on the cusp of unbelievable technology breakthroughs that help us manage our health and then into the future have better outcomes. I I could go on forever, but you know, we probably great got great stuff though. I'm excited great about insights. that. And then and then look at all the technology, the merging. So for example, there was a day when when you had a belly pain, uh, we didn't know what it was. So we just cut you open. We we used to call it a, that exploratory surgery. Mm-hmm. You know what you call that today? A lawsuit. So that's what, you know, you just. <laughs> right. So we used x-rays, yeah. then yeah. CT scans, and then MRIs. All of that was predicated on processing speed. So we have a 1.5 Tesla magnet MRI, a 3.0, a, a 7. Imagine what can happen if we can immediately determine a mutating cell in your body and eradicate it immediately. We're in a, just the golden age of healthcare, and, wow. and it's exciting to see the, con, the, the the convergence of technology and healthcare. That's interesting. It's very exciting. Yeah, it really is. Well, you've had a lot of success, obviously, even spoken nationally, internationally on the topic of team dynamics and organizational culture. So can you share with our audience some key points, uh, some of the principles that can be applied to organizations outside of healthcare? Yeah, I think... For me, uh, the lessons I've learned uh, are applicable in any other industry. When I speak nationally, internationally, it was, I had an interesting experience. I went to Saudi Arabia, and in Jeddah, I was uh, doing a workshop for the the leaders and directors there, and it was a very serious converse, conversation about the organization's mission, vision, and values. And regrettably, they couldn't articulate why they were there. And I think if your team doesn't know why they're there, you're doomed for failure. And so I think the first step I would take is, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? And Angel, you've done an eloquent job describing why you even do this radio show. That kind of gets you up in the morning. It kind of mm-hmm. you know brings you in on a Sunday afternoon. It probably allows the listeners to say, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna listen to what has to be said, because you understand the purpose and meaning behind what you're doing. With that, then you say, well, where are we gonna take it? Where's it gonna be? What can it? What can we imagine it to occur? And then what are the values we're gonna live by along along the way? I think that's universal. I think that's absolutely universal. We've seen that in sports. We've seen that in technology. When you when you break that, um, boy, magic happens. And then you start a drawing and attracting amazing men and women who feel that same passion. Interesting. Dr. Britt Barrett, former CEO of Medical Study Dallas, director for the Center of Healthcare Leadership and Management. We're coming back with more of leadership and leading the way right after this. What are best practices? Are they what set you apart from your competition? Or are they simply what most companies do to stay in the race? At the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, we focus on next practices. And that focus is what today's high-performance organizations rely on to lead the way. Next practices are tactics and strategies that our research has discovered have a great impact on market performance but that few companies are using. They are what will define market leadership in the years ahead. I4CP helps you see around the curve so your company can adapt and take advantage of emerging trends in the ever-evolving world of human capital. We want you to lead the way. So join our team, I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity, leading the way. Welcome back to Leading the Way. Hosts, hosts, Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. I love when you talk about mission, vision, and values. I like that's a great trifecta, isn't it? Don't you like those? Well, you know, this is one of the things that I think that uh, we mentioned at the at the top of the program. We talked about the Jindal School over at UT Dallas, and I talked about how there's so many incredible organizations, uh, the, the Cleveland Clinic, uh, uh, Johns Hopkins, Stanford, um, just so many places that are, you know, MD Anderson right here in the great state of Texas down in, uh, in Houston. And, and of course, the incredible facilities medically that we have right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, above and beyond. St. Jude Children's Hospital in, in, in Memphis. You stop and think about all these incredible places, and yet what you're doing at UT Dallas, I don't think people know about it. And it's, it's, uh, 
It's just, again, I hate to use the same words, but it really is above and beyond. Can you share with us, without giving away any trade secrets or whatever, about some of the things that are really unique over there that the listener is going to say, are you serious they're doing that? I know what we're doing in the Center for Vital Longevity when you talk about uh, Alzheimer's and you know the, the statistics. Every Cancer is going down. Heart disease is going down. All these diseases are going down because of the incredible medical research over the years. And Alzheimer's is going up. I mean, gosh. And Parkinson's 54. as well. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Same issue. But, but kind of take take a look at this from, from this perspective. Okay. We've been studying the heart and the liver and the lungs. We've been looking at them with uh, organ transplantation. We've been looking at why the valves will do what they do. I mean, we have understand the mechanicals. But the brain, we haven't been able to capture the complexity of that, of that organ. But now we are. We, we're able to really identify some specific issues interventions that could have s- profound impact. And so um, the Center for Brain Health, I think uh, the market, the community is very aware of Sandy Chapman and her team and all the amazing right, things right. they're doing there. The longevity as well. You start asking yourself, why does the brain do what it does and how can we um, understand it more effectively? I think that's the next generation. I really do. And it requires high speed processing. And you might ask yourself, well, you know, what's the deal with UTD? Well, Look at the foundation of UTD. It really was a technology university mm-hmm. tied to the that corridor, the IT corridor. So you have a lot of, of faculty and researchers that are taking that IT side and they are merging it with the clinical side. Very, very unique. Um, my uh, my the uh, the gentleman, the professor that's office is next to me. He really works on predictive analytics, and so we're looking at why does the brain do what it does, and how can we intervene um amazing experience um sandy chapman when i first met her she said hey we're using mris to look at how a ceo's brain functions and of course you know the big joke is well we couldn't find the brain so therefore they qualified as a ceo so it was a butt bump another Um, tmi moment (laughs) way too much information (laughs) thank you um but um, so they put me in an MRI and then they gave me a series of questions and watched how my brain functioned. Yeah. I'm thinking, fascinating. This, this is the beginning of something that we'll look back and go, you know, it's like, it'll be like Scooby-Doo, yeah. you, know, you know, what? Exactly. And so I think we are within a very short time and period able to identify some of the dynamics within the brain and why it functions, why it functions. Yeah. I saw a study recently on the brain activity before meditation and after meditation and it was fascinating fascinating stuff because I mean, you talk about the cause for illness being lifestyle and behaviors and that meditation process or mindfulness mm-hmm. which is a lot of a lot more organizations are talking about mindfulness as a as part of a wellness program in the workplace now so um yeah what are your thoughts on I, that? well i think some will look at western medicine and say you know what about eastern medicine some things that you know you know, I had early in my career, people say, oh, that's a tinfoil hat kind of idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's decades and uh, of experience that would indicate that we can start looking at meditation, yoga, uh, mind, body, and ask ourselves what works and what doesn't, what's the application, and look back on the individual and apply carefully those type of treatment protocols. And I'll tell you, the clinicians are all over it. I think the clinicians mm-hmm. are welcoming lifestyle, uh, uh, nutrition in a way that has never been. Um, and, and, it's, and I would say maybe it's our own fault. Healthcare started as palliative, right? I mean, that's why you have so many hospitals that are faith-based because there's nothing we could do. There was a nun, there was a, you know, a Methodist church, a Baptist church, a Catholic. There was nothing we could do now we're able to intervene and suggest possibilities. And so uh, the, the the combination of these two factors, uh, it's going to be exciting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's why we need, we need healthcare leaders that are well prepared for change and use the word agility. We need that. We need to be able to pivot quickly on different protocols and, and treatment patterns and allow those clinicians to do what they do and explore and investigate. Yeah. I, I get so excited, I start yeah. spitting. So I'm sorry. I yeah, apologize no, I for that, that. But this is a good time to be in healthcare. I was. I look for a a doctor who has that uh, that mindset as well. That's 
um, try this first. You know, the teas, the herbs, those things uh, certainly can help. And before I take a prescription, and uh, I'm just not one of those people that want to, you know, take a, a pill for anything. You know, everything, every little thing. So, and we're running into yeah. this category of every day people turn 65. Every day, this the baby boomers are moving in that category, and they are not satisfied with, well, just take a pill. They're just not satisfied. And they're looking for creative solutions, and mm-hmm. they're looking for possibilities. And uh, that's exciting thing, uh, exciting to be part of healthcare and healthcare leadership. Yeah. You talk cool. about uh, healthcare and leaders and change. All right, you're a healthcare leader, mm-hmm. and we're talking about change. If you had the wherewithal, that you could change one or two things just in the dynamics of what we have here today in this world of social media, in this 21st century, and all that we're engaged with on a day-to-day basis, what uh, what would you do? Are there a couple of things that you'd like to see change if you had the wherewithal to do that? Either, po- either po- positively or negatively. In other words, take away some things that exist today or add some things that we've never heard of. Well, I think, you know, uh, we've got to be aware of the medical industrial complex. There's a lot of money in healthcare. And we need to push it more to the ambulatory side. We spend a lot on the acute care. We've got to move it to the ambulatory and the and the diagnosis phase. And right now, uh, you know, I had a, a, a psychiatrist come to me and he said, listen, we have patients that are in the r- rural areas that are going into serious mental issues, issues. And the emergency rooms in those rural areas have to transfer them to our big hospital in the urban areas. Why can't we just use an iPad and FaceTime them and talk to them and, and understand what their issue is so we don't have to transfer them? And I said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And he says, yeah, I'd like to do it, but they don't, you can't reimburse for that. So, you know, it's all well and good and it's a great idea, but, you know, I, I do, I do have a, you know, I do have economic responsibilities. So most recently we've been able to shift reimbursement for telemedicine. So that makes it financially viable. We've got to be very much more nimble in that space. We need to look at moving our compensation into the ambulatory and reward for identifying and not for doing. We spend a lot of money for a hip replacement or back surgery. Ah, I would like to spend that money on not having a hip replacement and not having back surgery. So that's one thing that I think we really need to look at. The second area is pricing transparency. Consumers mm-hmm. want to know how much this is going to cost me, and they want to make conscious decisions about this. And I think we fail on that. I think we absolutely fail on this. Um, if you were to call the hospitals in this area and ask, you know, what's the cost for a hip replacement? I think you get a big delta. You might even not. You might even get people that won't even answer that question. Why not? I mean, I I, I got more information. Well, that's true. I, if I call up a, a car dealer and say, how much is that? If I if I get the SUV versus the four door <laughs> right. sedan, right. what's it going to cost me? It's down to the penny. Yeah. They even tell me what the tax is going to be. Absolutely. Good analogy. And yet, yeah. you do anything dealing with medicine? Well, I'm well, not sure. Yeah. Well. And, and then it, they want, you know, well, what kind of insurance do you have? And what about this? Right. And what about that? I think the great organizations, and I watch Texas Health Resources move down that road, and they're continuing to move down that road on pricing transparency. Where I can call up and say, "Listen, I, actually, why not guaranteed? Why not guaranteed pricing? I mean, I got mm-hmm. a hip replacement. I want to recover fully." And they look through the logarithms and they determine this is your obligation, your copay, and this is what you're going to pay. And we will assure you that X, Y, and Z will be the outcome. Is that difficult? Yeah, that's hard, but we've got to do it. And yeah. that's what I think this next generation will demand. And great mm-hmm. leaders will figure out how to make that happen. We've got time for one more question. Unless you've got one, mm-hmm. do you have one? I do. I okay, do. Okay, go ahead. So, as you're preparing these young healthcare leaders, leaders of the future in healthcare, and this comes back to you mm-hmm. uh, on a personal level, mm-hmm. if if you can say something to your 20 year old self, what would you tell them? Find purpose, find meaning, figure out who you are and what God wants you to do. Um, that happened to me in Peru. I figured out what God wanted me to do, and. Everything else took care of itself. And so that's what I'd say. If that requires a, you know, you know, you need to go to Kathmandu, uh, that's fine. If you can find it with your, with your, the people you love, uh, that's what I would suggest. All right. So on bucket list, you just mentioned Purdue and that sounded like a pretty good answer. I liked what you, what you had to share with us. Uh, You're the old doctors without borders, that type of thing Mm -hmm. uh, out there making a difference for those that need it, wherever they might be in the face of this earth. So bucket list for you with one minute to go, what comes to mind? I would like to see uh, 
and, and it sounds a little, uh, you know, what's consistent with it, with my previous comments, I want to see that next generation of leaders emerge and grow. I'm waiting for the day that one of my students emerges as a, a, a thought leader in the healthcare world. That they, I, I spent a summer in Washington, D.C. on the Senate Health Committee, and it was mind-boggling. I would like to see thought leaders that are well-prepared entering the healthcare space and making a difference. That would bring great joy to my life. Very interesting. Well, I tell you what, you've been a, a rock star, as we often refer to some people, but you really have. You've just been, uh, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank Pleasure. you. It's, uh, it's been above and beyond, and we can't thank you enough. Dr. Britt Barrett, former CEO of Medical City Dallas, director uh, for the Center of Healthcare Leadership and Management. He's over at the Jindal School of Management at the University of Texas at Dallas. That's right, UT Dallas, right here in our backyard, making a difference in the lives of those that need it most. So a giant thank you and continued success. What are best practices? Are they what set you apart from your competition? Or are they simply what most companies do to stay in the race? At the Institute for Corporate Productivity, or I4CP, we focus on next practices. And that focus is what today's high-performance organizations rely on to lead the way. Next practices are tactics and strategies that our research has discovered have a great impact on market performance, but that few companies are using. They are what will define market leadership in the years ahead. I4CP helps you see around the curve so your company can adapt and take advantage of emerging trends in the ever-evolving world of human capital. We want you to lead the way. So join our team, I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity. Leading the way. And now back to Leading the Way, powered by the Institute for Corporate Productivity. Here's Scott Murray and Angel Carlton. Welcome back, everybody, to Leading the Way. We're here with Jay Jamrog, I4CP co-founder, and it's time for the inside segment. Hello, Jay. Good afternoon. Hello, Jay. Great Hi, to have you along. The Hi, iconic, you, you've got to do it right, Angel, every oh. week. It's the iconic <laughs> Jay Jamrock. After you were, after Legendary. You, yeah, after, I, yeah, after yeah. you hear what he's about to share with us, you'll understand why, where I'm going. So what do you think about Britt Barrett? Interesting. Uh, wonderful career that he's had. Um, I really liked what he said about leadership and the purpose of an organization. Of course, you know, Angel, we've been looking at this stuff they call purpose a lot today, not only within organizations having a purpose. Of course, it's easier for a hospital or a not-for-profit to have that corporate purpose than a corporation, but corporations too. And we're finding it's very impactful for how you recruit young people today. They want to come to organizations that have a purpose. So I was, you know, I was interested in how much, how often he said that whole word around purpose, around leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great point. Great point. I know we work with a lot of healthcare organizations in our membership profile. What can you tell us about yes. some of the challenges we're seeing today in this field? And maybe uh, share with us a next practice some of our research is revealing. Well, I, th- I think you know, uh, he said it well. I mean, healthcare is on the precipice of a lot of different upheaval that's happening in the industry. Not only it's a, you know, it's a chaotic industry and that there's so many moving parts, as he tried to uh, illustrate, that it's really hard to get your arms around it uh, to really manage it well and be a good leader. Um, And we're seeing many uh, in the healthcare space dealing with the same kind of issues, especially as it is technology and all the breakthroughs that have happened today. It's interesting that technology in the healthcare space traditionally hasn't lowered cost. It's all, it's, you know, usually technology increases uh, quality, speed to market, uh, you know, um, uh, efficiencies, which brings down the cost of a product. You can look at anything from watches, et cetera. Uh, But it doesn't mean the healthcare industry, but the amount of technology that is just streaming into the industry is huge. And you ask him an interesting question, Angel, around agility. And I think his answer was right on as far as a next practice goes, because many companies are looking to be more agile. 
And he was very succinct and said he knew where agility needed to be in the future. And he listed three different parts of healthcare, and he said it within the diagnosis part of uh, the industry. And I really think he's spot on. That, you know, when we interviewed General Motors, they said, where do you want agility to happen? You can't have it everywhere. So where in the organization do you need to focus agility on? And he was, I thought that interview was so good. In fact, we did a webinar around that with with them just recently. But he was also very purposeful in what he was talking about, where he thought agility should be. Uh, And that's part of the next practice around agility and disrupting is knowing where you want to be agile. And it's the same thing like with innovation. Where do you want innovation in your organization? Define it. Tell me where you want it. I need more than just the words. I need direction. Let me ask you this. Playing off of what you just shared with us, Jay, you hear words like agility and transparency. And unlike Angel, I don't work day-to-day with I4CP, but I'm still fascinated with all that you continue to do and all the knowledge that I've learned from what you and and Kevin and the entire corporation have shared with me as, as we've continued to do this radio show. So my question to you is, the need for transparency and agility, especially in this field when you talk about healthcare leaders. So in referencing your recent studies at I4CP on agility, what are some of the high performing organizations doing today to, to keep that agility, to stay agile day to day? Well, it's to become agile not, because most organizations are not very agile. And they realize it quickly when they want to become more agile that it's easier to say it as a strategy than execute it. 74% of CEOs say they want their organizations to be disruptive, but only 9% of the people in our survey, the professionals we surveyed, said their organizations were disruptive. So we know what can cause agility, what how companies can become agile. They're collaborative, they're innovation, they're creativity, they listen to the customer, they're always their decision making is pushed further down the organization, closer to the customer. We know everybody out there knows what it takes. There's no aha there. Where the aha is, is how do you execute? Because most cultures do not accept agility. They want consistency. They want predictability. They don't want intelligent risk-taking because that throws consistency and predictability out the wall, out the, out the word. So most cultures will reject this virus called agility and transparency and all the other things that go along with agility and disruption because especially at larger organizations, they just value consistency and predictability. Mm-hmm. And with agility, consistency and predictability go out the door. Wow. That's really fascinating, actually. Well, I know you are like the culture expert. I've learned so much from you on this topic. I've heard you speak many times on this topic. What are your thoughts on the culture of a healthcare organization compared to other types of organizations? And is there a difference? Well, healthcare is is uh, good and it also has its dark side. So on the healthcare industry, as we've dealt with many of our members on this, they have phenomenal cultures of caring. They have a purpose. They can build teams very quickly around the patient's needs. If you've ever been in an emergency room and saw how choreographed the chaos is, it's remarkable how much they care and how everything's choreographed. Um, So the hospitals are wonderful places for people who care. But it is also such a, there's a dark side because everything about the hospital industry has to do with making a profit off the sick. So if you talk about the insurance companies are for profit, the pharmaceuticals are for profit, the uh, pharmaceutical industries are for profit, hospitals have to make money, doctors have to make money, nurses have to make money. It's There's a, a, a big industry there that continues to make the healthcare costs go up, even though we get more caring people coming into the healthcare profession today than ever before. I, I really tilt my hat to people who want to be caregivers. I don't think I could ever do that profession because I couldn't be around all the sick people all the time. But just watching how they work and how they collaborate and how they really focus on the patient's needs, it's it's inspiring. Yeah. 
the industry is the industry itself is very frustrating, though. Yep, I have uh, some nieces that are all nurses. I have like four nieces that are nurses and just special, my daughter, special my people. Daughter yeah. my, do- yeah, my daughter, my daughter's a nurse too. So yeah, yep, she's a special person. <laughs> yep. Caregivers are a, a special breed. There's no question about that. They are. Well, let me ask you this as we wrap it up here, uh, Jay. Uh, organizational changes for healthcare. What do you, what do you see uh, in the future? You hear so much about it. This needs to wow. be done. That needs to be done. I mean, it would take you 10 hours to just answer a, a part of that question. But just in, in general, what are some of the things that, that need to be done? Well, I think from my personal point of view and all the research that I've done in this area, and it's a very complicated chaos subject to get into. We focus too much on giving people access to health care rather than focusing on bringing down the cost of health care. And so I think we have lost, you know, we have to look at how can we actually bring down the cost? And does that mean that we have to subsidize the cost with more taxes? No one's asking the right questions. We're figuring out now, how do we get everybody covered or not covered as, as we go yo-yo back and forth? Um, but the cost of healthcare keeps outpacing inflation year after year after year. And the more people that are, aren't covered, of course, drives up the health care costs because if you're not covered, you go to the emergency room. That's the most expensive kind of health care you can get is going to the emergency room rather than going to a health care doctor. Um, and so we're not focusing on the cost of health care. And that's the whole spectrum of cost. Uh, and it covers a lot of different areas, not just the un- uninsured, but there's a lot of different areas that costs are just driven up. So I think in the future, we've got to look at the cost and how can we bring down the cost? Mm-hmm. I agree. Great perspective, Jay. As always, we appreciate your time, your knowledge, your insight, your wisdom, and your futuristic perspectives. That's how he became iconic. Yep. Legendary. That's it. The legendary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jay, as always. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. All right. Okay. Thank you, Scott. Talk to you, Angel. Thank you. And as we always remind you, live your legacy by leading the way. Till next Sunday, I'm Scott Murray. And I'm Angel Carlton. Have a great week, everybody. Good night.